Good morning. Um, I'm going to pray as we start. This morning, the title I've got is Living in the Reality of the Cross. And um, when we were praying before the service, I had a picture of a honeycomb, like the sort, not a sweet, but the honeycomb from inside a hive, dripping with honey. And I felt that actually God was saying that he's got really sweet stuff to give to us this morning. And the reality is that living in the reality of the cross means that everything we need is found in Jesus. We lack nothing. So I'm just going to pray as we start. Father, I thank you that that is true. I thank you that everything we need is found in you. And I pray that your words to us this morning will be like sweet honey. I pray, Lord, that we, each one of us, will just feed on you. Lord, make us hungry for more of you. But Lord, we thank you that we come to you and you satisfy us because we lack nothing when we are in you. So speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Living in the reality of the cross is actually an extraordinary blessing, isn't it? <laughs> It, it's kind of, I think it's true to say that, and I absolutely include this in myself, that I think we don't fully appreciate what it means to live in the reality of the cross. It's such a huge thing that certainly on a daily basis, I don't think I do, if you know what I mean. Because I think we, we all know that the cross means we have an eternity in the manifest presence of God. That's awesome. We know that we're forgiven. But do we live now, every day, in the reality of the cross? How different is my life? How different are your lives to our, to our non-Christian friends and neighbours? What, what difference does it make practically day to day? And I, I, I know that I feel I have a, a long way to go in terms of growing in my understanding of what it means day to day. Because I think there's so much more. There's always so much more. And so this morning, um, we're going to look at bits from Romans 8. It's a long chapter, so I'm not going to read it all. But actually, I would encourage you to read the whole of Romans 8 later. It's, it's almost like it's a manual for how to live the Christian life, Romans 8. It's a phenomenal book. And um, Paul really talks about... The fact that we are, are Christians means we live life through the Spirit. In my Bible, that's the subtitle at the beginning of Romans 8, life through the Spirit. And in fact, did you know that he mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times in that one chapter? And that, we need to be aware of that. We need to understand what that means. What does it mean to live life through the Spirit? Verse 2 describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of life. Verse 4 tells us we are to walk according to the Spirit. Verse 5 tells us that our mind is to be set on the things of the Spirit. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit who dwells in us. To, to effectively recreate the life of Christ in us, that's verse 11. It is by the Spirit that we put to death the misdeeds of the body, that's verse 13. Even our resisting temptation and putting sin to death is by the enabling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's all by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Spirit to pursue holiness. 
that's verse 14. It's the Holy Spirit who testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. How awesome is that? We're children of God. And it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to live in freedom from fear. That's verses 15 and 16. It's the Spirit of God who gives us the absolute assurance of our salvation. It's the, the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, who helps us in our weakness, even when we don't know what to pray for, verses 26 and 27. And the fact is that if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, none of that would be true. None of that would be possible. We'd still be living under the old covenant. And so I think there's a call on us, actually, if we're hungry, to really press into the, these truths, really actively choose to live in the reality of the everything in the, in the reality of everything that Jesus has won for us on the cross and it is a choice it's a day-to-day -day choice to take hold of the fact to take hold of the everything that we need because it's there but we need to we need to play our part we can't be passive in this let's actually read verses one to four I think we should have them there we go Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. You know, fundamentally, there are only two groups of people in the world. There are those who are not under condemnation because they're in Christ. That's us. And everyone else who is under condemnation because they're not. There's no, there is no gray area. To be in Christ Jesus means that we're in relationship with Jesus. And we are all in Christ. The Holy Spirit has, has kind of literally placed us into Jesus. It, the Bible says we are in Christ. And we now have a personal, vital relationship with him. And what that means is that everything that is true of Jesus is now true of us regarding all that he has provided. So when God says there's no condemnation, it's absolutely irrevocable, it's irreversible. It's declared by God to be true forever. Isn't that awesome? We don't need to live under condemnation. We're not on some kind of performance treadmill trying to somehow gain God's approval or acceptance. It's already a done deal. And that's just incredible. It's incredible. And yet so many of us live our lives day to day trying to somehow earn God's favor instead of being motivated by this extraordinary truth and by his grace to live like Jesus. And yet we go in, I do it, we, we strive. We kind of go, oh, I'm not good enough. I really messed up, oh, I'm so rubbish. I do it a lot. And yet, living in the reality of the cross means that we are fully accepted by God. 100%. And so, let's go on to Romans 8, 12 to 17. 
in the light of what I've just said. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's you and me. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There's, I mean, Romans, there's so much in Romans chapter 8. It's a whole sermon series, really, but hey. But we need to remember, we really do need to remember that, that Jesus wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was fully human. When he walked this earth, he was fully human. And actually, if you think about it, that in itself is a really shocking miracle because the infinite and holy God voluntarily became finite, voluntarily gave up everything to become a man. He came to live with unholy sinners, with messed up lives. In, in the Old Testament, where the way that God's holiness is presented, it's a really fearful thing. Moses couldn't look upon the face of God, Exodus 3, 6 and 33, 20. It says, for no one may see me and live. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're told that a man who touched the Ark of the Covenant when David was bringing it to Jerusalem was struck down. And Jesus embodies the holiness of God because he is God and has been with God from the beginning. But he gave it up to come and live as a, as a human being, fully, fully man. And that's why I say it's a shocking miracle. It's an utterly extraordinary thing that he would do that. That the Son of God, invisible to humankind and eternal by nature, should, should come to the earth, becoming visible to us. It was already visible in the spiritual realm, but physical to our human eyes. And people could look at him and live. And, and people spat on him and people mocked him. And they lived. Can you see the contrast? And this is the Jesus who we are now in. He in us and we in him. God whose, whose throne was so magnificent that Ezekiel couldn't find the words to describe it was born as a baby in a manger. And that's, it's hard to get our heads around, actually, because there's nothing else even like it. And he came to an insignificant little town. He worked as a carpenter. And I absolutely love this quote from a guy called Irenaeus. He was a first century bishop and theologian. And this is one of my favorite quotes. Jesus Christ in his infinite love has become what we are in order that he may make us entirely what he is. <laughs> Isn't that just extraordinary that kind of sums up really what living in the reality of the cross is all about do you want me to read it again jesus christ in his infinite love has become what we are in order that he may make us 
entirely what he is. That's such a profound and beautiful statement. And the thing is, if Jesus hadn't been fully human, he wouldn't have been able to offer his life as a sacrifice on our behalf. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked. He voluntarily denied himself all the privileges of being God so that he would be killed in order to accomplish our salvation. My finite human brain can't fully understand this, which is why I said at the beginning that I think we're all on a journey, we're all moving forward, we're all going on to understand, to grow in our understanding. Because he knew that we couldn't, by our own effort or our own merit or whatever, meet the demands of holiness. We just, we just can't do it. So he met them for us. It's actually very simple as well. That's, that's what makes forgiveness available to us. His death is sufficient for all who have ever lived. That's the bottom line. It was God who is life, God who gives and sustains life, who didn't have to die, that did die. <laughs> blows, blows me away. And because he chose to come as a man, that's how we can be reunited with God. And surely our only possible response is to worship and to live our lives for him and not for ourselves. And a lot of the times I know day to day I'm living for me or my family or whatever, but actually... Our call is to live for God, not for ourselves. And I think it's, it's easy sometimes to sort of make the mistake that because of, who Jesus, because of who Jesus is, it was easy for him to remain perfect. But it wasn't. He was fully human. He's, he has experienced everything that we can go through. He's experienced hunger and thirst and loneliness, and weariness, and betrayal, and rejection, and fear, and pain, physical and emotional. He's gone through it all. There's nothing that we can go through that he hasn't already been through as a man. He could have sinned. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in every way, but he chose not to. And his sinlessness wasn't easy. It was, it was as a result of conscious decision and honestly, I think, intense struggle at times. He prayed, Father, take this cup from me. We know that. But in spite of the struggle, he chose to empty himself. He humbled himself. He poured himself out for you and for me. as the Bible says, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he wrestled just as we wrestle. And because of that, he can truly intercede for us. Romans eight twenty seven. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And because... Jesus was perfectly human. He is our model. He doesn't just tell us how to live. He shows us how to live. He shows us what it is to live in the reality of the cross. 
And so if he found it necessary to pray and to depend on his father, then how much do we need to be reliant on him too? No more self-sufficiency. No more striving to do it in our own strength. We need to rely on his equipping power in our lives, on his revelation. We need to focus on doing the things we see the Father doing. And, and if you're like me, we can make our lives really complex and really tricky because we don't do that, because we somehow we still try too hard. It's almost as if we believe that the reality of the cross isn't enough. And that's not right, because it is. Our call is simply to live with Jesus, in him, him in, in us. Being who he's designed us to be, and being fully surrendered and obedient to him. Let's look at Romans 8, 37 and 39, right to 37 to 39, right at the end of the chapter. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every word in this book, in this, and I'm not just about the book of Romans, I'm talking about the book. Every word and in this chapter, it's true. And so we need to live like it's true. It's when we strive, when we try and do things on our own strength, when we make autonomous decisions out of our control and lack of trust, actually, that's when we get unstuck. That's when we make more problems for ourselves. And I think if we really, really got what Jesus accomplished on the cross, I think we could live a bit more straightforwardly. We overcomplicate things by our own doubts and fears, thinking we're not good enough. All of that nonsense gets in the way. It's actually very straightforward. But when we trust more in God than in our circumstances, then I believe our lives will demonstrate God's perfect love. And the fact is that if we can live the way we're called to, if we can live daily in the reality of the cross, other people might think we're ridiculous because it's utterly countercultural to do so, completely. And they might find the choices that we start to make really shocking because we won't be putting ourselves first. We won't be living for ourselves. We've just, Lauren, I've been watching, I don't know if any of you have seen a programme about five couples trying to travel across Canada. It's, I can't remember, race across the world or something. And these people sometimes are blown away by other people's kindness. Why are we not like that? Why are not people blown away by our kindness all the time? Just giving of ourselves, of our time, of our resources, without expecting anything back. Just being generous, sharing what we have, sharing everything that God has given us, sharing his love, sharing stuff, sharing finances. When we start to do that, people will see Jesus. 
They might not understand it. They might find it shocking, but they will see Jesus, whether or not they realize it. And then our lives will point to the miracle of what living in the reality of the cross is all about. Amen.